extremely beautiful and so pertinent to everything that is going on and also to the lecture and also to the purpose of our lives and subhanallah if we were to begin speaking about it we would never end so in order to truly truly one subhanallah just by listening we were so taken aback it was so beautiful so mesmerizing coupled with that if a person were to understand and replay this recitation while going along with the meaning you would be taken to a different world subhanallah may allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept may allah subhanahu wa ta'ala increase qarisab and may allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow the entire world to benefit from his recitations jazakumullahu khaira inshallah um before commencing our first lecture there are just a few announcements that are to be made uh, around whatever time a person is ready or a person is um, taking a stroll around the madrasa or around the masjid then please do visit our bookstall and um, it'll be right outside inshallah they're selling very pertinent books pertaining to the seerah of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam as well as mufti azimuddin hafizullah he mentioned about how we should uh, increase the amount of salawat and try to set a goal for ourselves one way to measure that is by getting uh, counters electronic counters which will also be inshallah outside that a person can purchase a few of the books that a person can purchase um, just to name a few books on sirah many a times we we would love to educate ourselves about the life of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam but often what times uh, often many times what happens at least for myself is we pick up a book and then unfortunately unfortunately perhaps this is my own weakness but we find i myself find that some books are uh, written in such a manner that it it's slightly difficult to continue reading uh, it's written in a higher manner and it's sometimes it's na'udhu billah i hate to say it but it's it's a bit dry the way that it's written but one of these books which i never felt that way and actually is quite amazing book but unfortunately it's not studied because of how extensive it is is a book it's known as siratul mustafa Sayyid Mustafa originally printed, originally written in the Urdu language by Mona Idris Kandahlawi rahimahullah was uh, translated into three volumes surprisingly subhanallah one of my teachers was also one of the core translators of the book afterwards it was condensed further into one volume and this is known as Sayyid Mustafa the abridged version which is being sold outside and this is such a book subhanallah when you pick it up you'll find it extremely difficult to put down the way that it's written the way that it flows it's so nice in the english language there aren't very many books as such that wallahu alam this week individual standing before you who has read additionally for those children of ours that we would like to begin filling with the love of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam there's another book it was in fact the actual same exact book siratul mustafa which was three volumes condensed into one abridged volume was further condensed and it was rewritten for the purpose of children and educating children who are young at around the ages of 10 to 15 this is known this book is also being sold it's called siratul mujtaba so siratul mustafa and then siratul mujtaba additionally there are other books as well inshallah we can um go outside uh whenever we are perhaps feeling a bit tired or perhaps on our way out before leaving we can inshallah go and uh take a look at those things to start off our first lecture for uh the conference i have alhamdulillah the great honor and privilege of requesting our beloved ustad and the director one of the directors of the institution currently serving as a principal of darus salam uh, who requires no introduction mufti minhajuddin hafizullah to render the very first lecture on the topic of mu'jizat what exactly are mu'jizat we've heard this word many many times what does it mean and what's the importance what's the significance 
Without any further ado, I would like to call upon our beloved Ustad Mufti Minhaj Hafidhullah to bless us with his wisdom and knowledge. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah wa kafaa wa salamun ala ibadihi al-lazina astafaa amma ba'd. MashaAllah, there was a great introduction done by Mufti Adimuddin, followed by a beautiful recitation of the Qur'an. So, at this juncture we should just jump right into the topic. So what is at stake, my dear brothers, respected elders, and sisters who may be listening online, in the end of the day, it is all about our najah, our salvation. The reality is that all of us are here in this world for a short period of time. This is a test and a trial. And there is a hereafter, there is an akhirah, there is a yawmul jaza, yawmuddin, day of judgment. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will judge between His creation. This may not sound like some uh, breaking news or some uh, new research. These are the actual realities that we have to keep on repeating. As in the effort of da'wah, we keep on repeating these things, the importance of iman and yaqeen. And the reason we, in the effort of da'wah, keep on repeating the, about the importance of iman and yaqeen, it is because that is the basis of salvation. If we have iman, the true iman, the iman that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, demands from us, desires from us, then there is salvation and without iman, there is eternal damnation in the fire of hell. May Allah Ta'ala protect us all from. Today's topic is about one such aspect on which we have to have iman. On which we have to have iman and we have to have yaqeen, we have to have conviction, we have to have belief. And that is regarding the mu'ajizat and the miracles of Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. In fact, miracles of all of the Anbiya Alayhi Salatu Wasallam. And we are living in such a time when not only mu'ajizat, but all matters that relate to the alamul ghayb are being denied. So in our Islamic terminology, there's something called alamul mushahada, the realm, the world which we see with our eyes. But it's not limited to what we see with our eyes. What we see with our eyes, hear with our ears, feel, touch, taste, meaning our physical senses acknowledge and can measure and can witness the existence of it. That is known as alam al-mushahad, the realm of the seen world. In short, we call it the seen world, but again, it could be things that we do not see with our eyes, but we see their effects. Um, it is quantifiable, is measurable, it can be tested in a laboratory. That is the alam al-mushahada. And then there is alam al-ghayb. The alam al-ghayb is the, again, for short, we call it the unseen world. But in reality, it is all that is beyond the physical world. For the students, I, I used to make it simpler when I would say that something is composed uh, of elements on the periodic table of elements. Then that is from the alam al-mushahada. 
And it is something that is beyond the periodic table of elements as Alamul Ghaib. And the Alamul Mushahada, we are immersed in it. And the Alamul Ghaib also, we are immersed in it. But by its nature, the fact that it's Ghaib, we cannot see its effects. And Alamul Ghaib, in Alam another term that is commonly used is the physical world and the metaphysical world. So physical world meaning again that which we witness, that which we test, we can test in laboratory. And the medical, metaphysical world that is which is beyond that. So we are living in such a time and age where the entire metaphysical world is being denied outright. Now when we think of metaphysical world, we think about uh, oh, these miracles, these angels, there's jinn and all these other unseen things. In fact, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself. But the reality is that we don't have to go so far. We don't have to go so far away talking about these other creation of Allah or Allah himself as examples of the alamul ghaib. Because you and I our own very existence. That who are you and who am I? Who are we? We ourselves in our existence are hybrids, are a combination of a physical component and a metaphysical component. We are murakabun bayna ruhi wal jasad. We are com- we are we are a combination of the soul and the body. In fact, between these two. Technically, our actual reality is our soul, our ruh. And the body is the means of conveyance of that soul. The means of conveyance of that soul. And this ruh that we have is not from the physical world, it is from the metaphysical world. And that is why the scientists of the world deny the existence of the soul. They don't even, they do not, they categorically in the past in a conference, Stated that we do not believe in the existence of the soul. Because it is not, it is not something that they can test and measure. And there's a whole lot of beautiful, interesting discussions about this matter. It's kind of it's beyond the scope of today. But the reason I went on this thread is because we're talking about physical versus metaphysical. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَيْسَلُونَكَ anir ruh." They ask you regarding the reality of the soul. They ask you regarding the soul. Surah Bani Israel, the same surah that we were hearing about, surah that we just heard, the recitation, Surah Al Isra. Subhanallah, Asra bi Abdihi. MashaAllah, in heart rendering recitation. It took me back to when my father took me as a child uh, to listen live. Qari Abdul Basit Abdul Samad, Nawrullah Marqadahu. I had the opportunity to sit right in front. And then I remember going to shake his hand afterwards. So the memory I have is that he's, he had huge, thick, big, fleshy hands. And my hand was so small. Afterwards, I'm thinking about it. Perhaps one of the reasons why his hand was so big over mine is my hand was a very small little hand <laughs> as a student, a small little child. Subhanallah. But I uh, had the honor of being musafaha with him. And this recitation took me back to my childhood. And uh, we were listening to the cassette. We used to have cassettes back then, before the CDs. And now the CDs are gone. Now it's all digital files. So when I was listening to it, my father said that this is the Qadib, you're going to see him live, let's listen to him on the way. When you're listening, so I was imagining in my young mind that they are, 
there's one short fat khari and there's one skinny tall one <laughs> because the voice was the high and the low subhanallah I didn't realize that there is going to be one person can have so much uh, subhanallah uh, variation is the right word in the tone in the, in, in the voice subhanallah so if it was all very high pitched then perhaps it would be too powerful for us to bear the power of it if it was all, so that's why he gives us a break with the low one So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَيَسْأَلُونَكَ عَنِ الرُّوحِ They ask you about the soul. قُلِ الرُّوحُ مِنْ أَمْرِ رَبِّي Tell them the soul. It is beyond your understanding. So this makes it easy for me because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala straight up said it right there. That all of these metaphysical things, they are difficult for you to comprehend. قُلِ الرُّوحُ مِنْ أَمْرِ رَبِّي Tell them that the ruh, the soul, is simply a, some, uh, something that comes into existence from the command of Allah. قُلِ الرُّوحُ مِنْ أَمْرِ رَبِّي it is the Amr of Allah. Right? Through the Amr of Allah, the soul comes into existence. And Allah Akbar, when the soul comes into existence, when will it end? When will the soul finish? It will never end. Subhanallah. The soul, when it is created by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then it never dies. Its existence never terminates. Because when, do, when was a soul created to begin with? Is it when we are born? Or is it when it's put into the womb of our mother at four months? No. It's already existing before that. Our great, 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 great grandchildren's souls are also already existing in the alamul arwah, in the realm of the souls. There may be some seniors amongst us who got married young and had young ch uh, children when they were young and their children were young and got married and had children. So that's why I had to add like four or five greats. Right? Maybe there's a great, great grandfather here. So that's why I said a great, 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 great grandsons and granddaughters. Their souls are also already created and they're in the alam al-arwah. So, but there was a time when those souls did not exist. And then they were created. But after they're created, they're never going to end. That's the whole concept of riding. So our soul was there. Then if you are going from point A to point B, then you ride on a, uh, on a for example, you jump on a car, uh, Uber, and you go to the airport. And then the airport, you jump on a plane and go, uh, go to your destination. From the plane, you go on a bus. So they are different markab, uh, conveyances that are carrying the body. So likewise, that soul is... is uh, being carried by this physical body, then when a person dies, there's a, you know, in medical ethics, there's a whole discussion about, you know, the definition of death. Is it when his brain dead or when his fulan dead or this or that? When do we define death? When the cellular function ceases, etc. So, the Islamic concept of death is in fisal ruh min al jasad, when the soul departs from the body. Then it goes on. That's why. When a person passes away, we say intiqal. Intaqala. He has moved on. Min daril farar ila daril qarar. From the abode that we have to run away from to the abode that we will remain forever. And then in the grave, or again, we say grave, but it's not limited to grave. If a person, you know, nowadays, see, the thing is, we used to say, oh, the punishment in the grave, the reward in the grave. In our halaqa of ta'aleem or other muzakara, we talk about these things. The people, the youth, they may ask, oh, what about the one who is 
uh, eaten up by the animals in the jungle or thrown overboard in, uh, into the sea or is cremated so there's no grave then the ashes are thrown in the water or in the air or scattered somewhere so it, when we say grave you're referring to one particular realm the alam which is the alam between the dunya and akhirah called alamul barzakh and then when we talk about all these hadith that you know, the one that the adab will occur in the bones of one's, the ribs on one side will crush into the ribs of the other side, or the grave will be constricted, or will be made so wide. What are we talking about? This physical body will be decomposed. It's not this body. It's not this body at all. The, when the ruh separates from this body, it's gone. This body is gone, then Allah, it goes to Allah Ta'ala, then comes back, and there is another body, jasad mithali, that other body from the metaphysical realm, It'll be carrying that soul. And that is the body that will enjoy the na'im of the barzakh, the blessings or the jahim or the adab of the barzakh. So that will make it easier for all of those questions that people have. And then subhanAllah in the jannah, in the jahannam, there will be a body. And that, that body will be different. That is the body that will be in jannah able to witness Allah on one side. Whereas Musa alayhi salam in the dunya, when he asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Rabbi arini anzuru ilayk, oh my Lord, I want to see you. What did Allah ta'ala say? Lan tarani, you cannot see me in this worldly life. But that, in the akhirah, wujuhi yawma idhin nadira ila rabbiha nadira. The faces will be seeing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they'll be radiant. And likewise, the bodies of Jahannam are different. Those bodies are different in the sense that they will be burning. And after a body burns of this dunya, the person dies if you burn him long enough. Allahu Akbar. Badalnahum juludan ghayraha liyadhuq al adab. In those bodies, the skin after it's burned will be, Allah Ta'ala says in the Quran, Badalnahum juludan ghayraha. The skin will be replaced with new skin. And before we knew about the fact that the pain sensors are in the skin that take the pain signal to the brain, Allah Ta'ala says, the reason the skin will be replaced, li li yadhuq al adab. So that they continue to. Uh, face the torment of the adab and feel that punishment. Allahumma fadna jamiyan. So, whenever we talk about metaphysical things, we don't have to look so far. Before we even get to the karam and katibin, they say, oh, where are they? I don't feel them, I don't see them. Ya'lamuna ma tafa'alun, who know what you are doing and recording it. You yourself are from the metaphysical world. Your ruh is. Now, the thing is, The, um, at the end of the day, all of the topics that are discussed in the Quran, it boils down to three. The Tawheed, the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Risala, the Prophethood of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and the Akhirah. And today, as we are in a Sira conference, we're talking about the Risala of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. In particular, the Mu'ajizat. One reason we want to discuss the Mu'ajizat is the external threats and deniers, and then the internal ones. Externally, they are those who not, do not only deny mu'jizat, they deny everything. So they will deny the wahi, revelation from Allah. They deny Allah, existence of Allah, deny Rasulullah, we don't believe him to be a prophet, deny the Quran, we don't believe it to be the book of Allah, deny the Sharia, Islam. Those are the external enemies, they deny everything. So we have to have a different discussion with them, which we don't have to go there right now. Because why are you talking about mu'jizat? They deny everything. Why are you starting with Mu'ajizat? We can start with Allah Ta'ala. When you're talking to those who are denying the entire metaphysical world and the Alam al-Mushaghayb, uh, then 
we can start with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself. Because we have to believe in Allah, then we believe in everything following after. The wahi that came from Allah, on the Rasulullah. Amantu billah first, isn't it? Is it amantu bil mu'ajiza or is it amantu billah? Amantu billahi, then wa malaikatihi, then wa kutubihi, wa rasulihi, wal yawm al-akhir. The reason we're talking about mu'ajizat in particular first today is because within the Islamic world, there are those who are saying, I believe in Allah, yes. I believe in Quran, yes. I believe in prophets. Amantu billah, absolutely. Wa malaikatihi, absolutely. Wa kutubihi, wa rasulihi, wal yawm al-akhir, yes, 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 yes. Check all the marks, are, uh, all the, uh, everything is checked, yes. But when it comes to marjizat, they are denying. So there are fitan and trials that are external threats and there are internal threats. The internal threats are more dangerous in a way. Why? Because they seem to be Muslim, they seem to be scholars. They seem to be praising Rasulullah ironically. You have some authors who have written entire books of seerah praising Rasulullah as the greatest man who ever lived. Not Michael Hart and the most, 100 most influential people in time that we like to quote some in time, sometimes. We say, Loki listed Muhammad as number one. And we say, True greatness is that which is testified to by one's enemies, despite him not believing in him. Not even in Michael Hart. I'm talking about like Haikal, who wrote the Hayat Muhammad, very, very popular book throughout. The Middle East was translated in English. Again, when I was growing up, it was a very popular book of seerah in all of the masajid. In the 80s, it was a very, very popular book. Shaykh Sa'id Ramadan al-Buti, I was about to say Hafizahullah, but he's Nawarullah Marqada who passed away recently. Uh, he was giving a dars in the masjid and suicide bomber came and killed him in Dimashq. So he, uh, he wrote a book, Fiqh al-Seerah, the prophetic uh, jurisprudence of the prophetic biography. And in the beginning, when I was reading that, I said, Subhanallah, as a child I read this Hayat Muhammad of Haikal, I never realized what's going on. He mentions the fact that these Muslims who are writing seerah, praising Rasulullah they are amongst many different problems they have. One of them is that they are denying the mu'ajizat, the miracles of Rasulullah Why are they denying the mu'ajizat? Like, what did they get out of it? It is because of this mentality and this inferiority complex when the Western imperialists, after having the industrial revolution and more advanced technology, came in contact, not just casually came in contact, rather aggressively colonized the Muslim world, particularly after the breakup of the Uthmani Khilafah in World War I, as was prophesied by Rasulullah that the different nations which one? The League of Nations, founded by Woodrow Wilson. Before the United Nations was the League of Nations. And they divided up the Islamic Khilafat. Rasulullah said, umam. These Umam, this League of Nations, they're going to come and they're going to invite one another to eat you up. Like the people invite one another to eat ila qasa'atiha, the big plate. Qasa'a is a big, it's not a, you know, nowadays it's all about portion control, small plates for dieting purposes. But this qasa'a was a very big plate and everyone would be sharing it. So they will invite one another, come, let's eat together. So at that time, the Muslims reacted in different ways. And one of them was when they came in contact with this technology, they were so awed by it. Right? They were so awed by it because what happened is, 
when the Muslims left the deen, they declined in science. And when the Europeans left Christianity, they increased in science. Because the Catholic faith was a break from research, technology, development. So the great scientists were what? Imprisoned by the Catholic Church. Galileo, all of these scientists were put in jail by the Pope and by the Catholic clergy that was clamping down on research and science. So when the age of reason occurred, so-called renaissance, when they abandoned revelation and the corrupted form of the Catholic Church, they threw it behind them, all forms of religion, they became effectively agnostic or atheist, then what happened? They advanced in science. And when the Muslims, they abandoned the deen, which told us to do research, and when was our golden age of science? Was this coincided with golden age of our deen? Golden age of our deen was the golden age of our science. And golden age of the western science was when? When they left their deen. You see that irony? So anyway, what happened is, when they came in contact, then they started saying, wow, every single thing, you know, their science is so great, and we are so weak. We are still with the mule uh, and uh, the camel, uh, and they have, subhanAllah, uh, steam trains and ships, and, you know, some airplanes had started up in that time. So how in the world, you know, they're so ahead of us. So this was an inferiority complex reaction. And because of the inferiority complex, they started believing in the ultimate source of knowledge. Instead of being wahi, revelation became science. And um, in our short-lived Bukhari Durus that we used to have, uh, we, we started off the discussion where we said that subhanallah Imam Bukhari Muhammad Ismail al-Bukhari Imam al-Jurafi Amir al-Mu'minin al-Hadith when, when he wrote his book As-Sahu al-Kutubi Ba'da Kitab Illah or he compiled his book of Hadith the most authentic book uh, after the book of Allah he starts with Kitab al-Iman because without Iman without the first point there's nothing but in his Kitab al-Iman the first chapter he starts with Badul Wahi Revelation 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 is the source of all knowledge Revelation is the ultimate source of knowledge beyond science Beyond what our intellect can dictate and can determine and can explore. So what happened is, now the Muslims, they gave more prominence to science over revelation. So that is why. Now, uh, they, they started denying miracles. Started denying all the miracles in the Quran, miracles of Rasulullah And on the other hand, they kept... Because they're Muslims, they're not non-Muslims we're talking about. So they would say that, for example, Muhammad is the greatest man. So he's the greatest legislator who brought laws, greatest economist who uh, came with a theory that he implemented that was for poverty, to remove the poverty and upgrade the social status of the uh, uh, downtrodden. He brought social justice. He helped the rights of women. He was a military genius. Uh, he was a kind, benevolent leader. All beautiful praises. But, and mashallah, Sayyidina Mulambuti, rahimahullah, he mentioned so beautifully, he says that all of this, you know, it looks so nice, but at the end of the day, what are they not mentioning? Even if they are not outright denying, but there is something really major. In fact, the most major point which is missing. And that is the fact that they were recipient of divine revelation. They're not talking about wahi. So if we believe in all of the above, without believing he is the Rasul of Allah, 
then that is not iman. That is why some of the scholars, they keep on adding different conditions and quyud, uh, ihtirazi, clauses to the ta'rif and complete definition of iman. Such a definition which should be jami'un li afradihi, inclusive of all of what is true iman, iman'un min dukhuli ghayrihi, should exclude all that which is not iman. It should be a complete, proper definition. And part of that definition, they say that at the end, وَتَصْدِيقُ بِجَمِيعِ مَا جَاءَ بِهِ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَى سَلَّمَ إِجْمَالًا فِي مَا عُلِمَ إِجْمَالًا وَتَفْصِيلًا فِي مَا عُلِمَ تَفْصِيلًا مِنْ غَيْرِ إِمَارَةِ تَكْذِيبٍ The last part of the definition is مِنْ حَيْثُ أَنَّهُ رَسُولُ اللَّهُ That we believe every single thing that he conveyed to us, the entirety of the message conveyed to us by Rasulullah Sallallahu we believe in that from the perspective, not that he was very intelligent, which he was, or most intelligent, which he was, but rather, most importantly, because he is speaking on behalf of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We cannot give up that. That is. In fact, if, you're, if somebody asks, what is a Nabi? You'll say, well, he's a very pious individual. Yes, all the Anbiya are pious, but there are many pious people who are not Anbiya. You'll say, well, he's the one who invites towards Allah. Well, all of you invite towards Allah. You're all. Khairul Ummah. You all invite towards Allah ta'ala. Right now, if I'm inviting towards Allah, does that make me Nabi? No. So then, how you define a Nabi? The defining characteristics. The khasiyatu shay ma yujadu fihi wa la yujadu fihi That which is found in a Nabi and not found in a non-Nabi. Is the fact that a Nabi is the only creation of Allah that receives divine revelation. That's what sets a Nabi apart from a non-Nabi. Right? Subhanallah. So, they, they ended up denying miracles. So we will come across Muslims. Uh, who claim to be Muslims who are, and who may be writing beautiful books and tafsirs. They are people who deny miracles, who have not written seerah of Rasulullah on one side, they have also written tafsirs of the entire Quran. And every single miracle that comes, it's quite fascinating to see um, how creative they could be with their interpretations. And take this whole ta'wil, ta'wil means sarful kalam in you take a Literal meaning, and you leave that, and you go for a figurative, allegorical meaning that this is an ishara towards something, this is indicating something else. And how far you can go with that till the point it becomes tahrif, where you are intentionally now misinterpreting the ayats of the Quran. And this was prophesied by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to happen. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al Baqarah, He says, Many people are misguided through the Quran. What's more thought-provoking is that Allah Ta'ala says, يُضِلُّ بِهِ كَثِيرًا Many people. كَثِيرًا Many people are misguided through the book. The fact that he said many is scary. And what's even scarier is that he mentions this first. And then what he says after that, he says, وَيَهْدِي بِهِ كَثِيرًا And many people are guided through the book. So much so that the question came, arises that, SubhanAllah, is the purpose of the Qur'an misguidance or guidance? Because you would mention the actual purpose first and then you would say, oh, sometimes the other also happens. Over here Allah Ta'ala says, يُضِلُّ بِهِ كَثِيرًا وَيَهْدِي بِهِ كَثِيرًا وَمَا يُضِلُّ بِهِ لِلْفَاسِقِينَ Many people are misguided through the book and many people are guided through the book and those who are misguided through the book are those who are the sinners. The reason misguidance is mentioned before guidance, despite the fact that guidance is the actual objective, أَلِفْ لَا مِيمْ ذَلِكَ الْكِتَابُ لَا رَيْبَ فِيهُ the Quran is a source of guidance for all mankind. 
which the benefit will be given to those who are muttaqin. The Quran is guidance for all mankind, but those who are muttaqin will go and derive the guidance from it. That resolves that apparent conflict between those two ayat. Because somebody will say, wait, is the Quran hudal nas or hudal muttaqin? Is the source of guidance for all mankind or for muttaqin? How do you resolve this? Are all nas muttaqin? All people muttaqin? No. So then some people are muttaqin, some people are not. So one place it says the guidance for all mankind, other place it says guidance for only muttaqin. So the response would be like, there is chai in samosas. There really is. For all of you. But who will get it? Those who stand in the, I don't know, God knows how long the line will be. Right. right. So those who stand in the line will benefit. And those who say, forget this, I'm going home, will not get it. They may have better food at home. That's Mubarak to them. So likewise, is the Quran is hidayah for all mankind. Hudal uh, nas. But who, who will benefit from it? Those who have taqwa, they will go and benefit. And even though it is for everyone. That resolves that conflict. Apparent conflict. So any case, subhanAllah, Allahu Akbar. The Quran is a source of guidance. The reason Allah mentions misguidance first is because one is intuitive, one is counterintuitive. One you're, you expect, one you don't expect. That which you don't expect, Allah mentions it first. Watch out, beware. Really? Oh my God, many people are misguided in this book. I didn't know that. I didn't think that's possible. Yeah, that's a restatement of the, of the obvious, which has been mentioned many places. That's one reason. SubhanAllah. So what they do, like, it's, it's, it's as I said, quite creative. I'm just giving one example moving on. Is that, can you believe this? It's, as I said, it's, it's quite interesting because they have to kind of stick to the original story but come up with a crazy explanation. So they will say, you know, just like you're coming out from the post-COVID time, so there are many contagious diseases. So there were birds. Everybody knows the real story and nobody here is going to be confused by this false interpretation or else we have bigger problems to worry about. <laughs> right. So, uh, uh, okay. so we have, so the Tayran Ababil, these birds apparently in this interpretation of denying the miracles, they came with pieces of they have the tarmihim bihijara, right? So the stones are coming from their beaks and from their claws. They're letting the, the hijara, the rocks. They're pelting the army with the rocks. The real story, of course, is the rocks. They went through the armor, went through the flesh, went through the bone, clean, shot all the way through, went through the elephants, all the way down, and decimated the entire army. And they were completely... Uh, um, they were like ground, uh, um, completely decimated, destroyed army. The Abraha and his army of the elephants, which is well-known story. Now what happens is, they say that, oh, actually they, they were some clay pellets that the birds dropped, which had different bacteria and different viruses, different diseases. And that disease broke out in the camp of the army. So many of them, they ended up getting this different sicknesses which was highly contagious and that's how the army was destroyed so the birds brought uh, the contaminated soil that's why you know there is the border control that is controlling the different soil the plants you have the beautiful plant in your backyard back home some beautiful flower or whatever you cannot 
bring it, right? Because of possibly you're bringing, introducing different organisms which will uh, destroy the habitat over here. So likewise, this is what happened. So this is denying the miracles. Two reasons, two ways we have to know, remember that these miracles cannot be denied. Number one, we cannot take any ayah, right? There is sometimes, there is a lahir of ayah, literal meaning, and then there is a majazi meaning, which is an allegorical meaning, um, which is a figurative meaning, which we do not take it literally. For example, um, like in, in general, you say, Right. I saw a lion in the zoo. So what lion? It's, it's a real lion. One is if a person says, masjid, I entered the masjid and I saw a lion on the member. Hopefully it's not the... But <laughs> it could technically be the real one too, right? If he escaped from the zoo. But the allegoric meaning, the figurative meaning, majazi is what? Some actual uh, uh, very enthusiastic and uh, energetic speaker who's speaking from his heart with so much passion uh, that he is like a lion on the member. So there is a literal meaning, a figurative meaning. So likewise, you start taking figurative meanings. There's two principles. Number one, you cannot take a figurative meaning from any ayah of the Quran which is in contradiction and against the ijma' and consensus of the understanding of the Qur'an of 1400 years. Now, in next year, next century, let's say 1500 years, 1600 years. It's not only 1400 years. <laughs> it's from the time of Rasulullah until now. Whatever century it may be. So, whatever is the mutawaras understood interpretation of the ayah by the ulama of the ummah, and there is an ijma' on it, that this ayah is understood in a zahir sense, in its external sense, in its literal sense, in its dictionary meaning. You cannot just say, no, I'm going to take that majazan. Like Nuh alayhi salam, oh, that, you know, that was, it was just referring to a concept. So every single historical figure in the past, and even things that are going to come in the future, like Dajjal, the prophecies is another talk is coming up. So they say that, oh, Dajjal is a concept. This is a very, very common thing. Those who are munkirin of hadith, uh, Mona Farhan, our, our beloved MC, and Qari, Imam, Saab, and the one who does the thicker and everything, all in one, mashallah, combo. He, he's, he plays all the different roles, mashallah. So, mashallah, he, he, we were together and we met one uh, person who opened a door of some new fitna. We were saying, subhanallah. I was talking to him, he was telling all this ajib aqidah that unfortunately he wasn't third person talking about his own beliefs. I said, subhanallah, jazakallah khair, you know, you opened my eyes to all the different new fitnas that are out there. But uh, he was so lost in explaining his fitna, he didn't know what I was saying. Mona Farhan also was like, oh my God, what the heck is this? So there are people out there who have these beliefs and they're propagating it. So if they are taking the allegorical meaning, they say, oh, Dajjal is just a concept and Fulan is just a concept and it's not real. You'll say, number one, yes, there are certain places where you don't take the literal meaning even in the Quran. But this allegorical meaning you're taking to deny the miracle is what? Against the ijma' of the ummah. Against the? Consensus of the Ummah. So there is an Aqatu Salih. The miracles of Rasulullah is more on Farhan's topic and other scholars are going to talk about. So I'm just talking about miracles in general. So there is the she camel that came out from a stone. So was it some concept of a she camel? Some imaginary she camel? Something that looked like a she camel but wasn't? Something that reminded them? A fossil of a she camel? SubhanAllah. 
Could be a fossil, right? Fossils, you know, you dig the stone and you get the fossil. No, it was an actual she camel. It was a gigantic she camel. It was a pregnant she camel. And then it delivered an actual she camel, another baby, or another, I don't know if the baby was a male camel or a he camel or a she camel. Okay, so, so the thing is, subhanallah, it was real, so you can't deny it. Number two is, when you are taking figurative meanings, you have to follow, subhanallah, the qanun al-ta'wil al-arabi. According to the rules of balagha, there are rules of how you, you leave the literal meaning haqiqa and go to the majaz. There has to be some karina connection between the two. As our ustad used to say that asman worker zameen murad. Zameen worker asman murad. Right? You say the sky, sama. You say sama and you can mean the roof. Sometimes sama means the actual sky and literal meaning. Sometimes sama means the roof, the ceiling. That's fine. But you say sama and you mean earth. You mean earth. And you say earth and I mean the sama. You cannot do that. So this is what these people are doing. Anyway, we are, our, our time is coming to an end. We just started the topic. I would just want to say, first of all, what is a, de- a definition of mu'jiza? Mu'jiza comes from the word i'jaz. Those who are Urdu-speaking background, which is many present here, may have heard the word, know the word, familiar with the word ajiz. What is ajiz? Ajiz is a weak person. Ajiz is powerless. Qadir has qudra, power. Ajiz is weak. So there are opposites. So mu'ajiza comes from uh, linguistically comes from the word i'jaz a'jaza yu'jizu i'jaz fahuwa mu'ajiz mu'ajiz is the one that thing which renders the opposite party the opposition those who are denying the prophet ajiz renders them powerless to be able to replicate what the nabi just performed so if there is like for example um, cream cheese right and if i take my finger and i cut through the cream cheese Hey, can you do that? Yeah, I can do that. And he can take his finger and cut the cream cheese. The reason I'm giving the finger and the cream cheese, you know why. Because if the Nabi says, okay, how about this? I take my finger and I slice the moon in half. Then one half, it goes to one side, right? The other half goes to the other side. Okay, now it's your turn. Let's, let's see what you got. So this is called, he will say, I'm ajiz. He will say it or he'll deny it. Or subhanAllah, they, 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 subhanAllah, they were... If they are bent on denial, this is called, there's different types of kufr. One of the types of kufr is kufr of juhud, kufr inkar, kufr of nifaq, kufr of zandaqa, different types of kufr. This is juhud, like straight up denying because you want to deny it even if it's right in your face. So, unless, no one can deny our signs unless they're kafirun or they're zalimun. So they would do the zulm and kufr and deny it. But if there was someone who had any desire in his heart to follow the truth, he will say, wow, I can't do that. He has the help of Allah. He is a Nabi of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, kullu amrin khariqin Every such matter which is not according to the normal physical laws of nature. Khariqun lil'ada. It is not against the physical laws of nature. One is the sunnatullah, one is the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The way of Allah will never change. But within the sunnah of Allah, most of the time things happen according to Ada, the normal physical laws. But there are certain times when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who is not limited to the physical laws, may break those physical laws. That's against the Ada, but it's not against the sunnah of Allah. The sunnah of Allah is to break his Ada sometimes. 
And he does that on the hands of his anbiya, that's called a mu'jizah. He does that on the hands of his awliya, that's called a karama. He does that in the hands of the enemies of Allah. We spoke about Dajjal earlier, Dajjal is going to come around. He will also be doing many things which are what? Breaking the physical laws. Going beyond the physical laws of nature. But those are not mu'jizat nor are they karamat. That is istidraj. سَنَسْتَدْرِجُهُمْ مِنْ حَيْثُ يَعْلَمُونَ So, these are the well-known ones. Then there is help from Allah Ta'ala for uh, random average believers. There are examples of that. When Allah Ta'ala helps them in a difficult situation, that's called ma'una. Unseen help of Allah. The ma'una. And then we have sometimes supernatural things beyond the physical laws of nature happen to the enemies of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not helping them. Not in their favor. Istidraj is in their favor. Okay, he will control the weather. He will make the dead come to life. The life come to dead. All these type of things he will do. Dajjal. That's istidraj. But sometimes... Things contrary to physical laws in nature will happen on the hands of an enemy of Allah which is not in his support against him. Right? This is ihana. Where Allah will make that person dhalil. Allah will make him, uh, will um, humiliate that individual. Like it is narrated about Musaylama Kadhab, the false prophet. He, uh, one, uh, subhanAllah, one-eyed person A'war means he's blind in one eye. He came to him and said, You are the Prophet of God. Na'udhu billah. Musaylama, the false prophet. So can you uh, uh, put your Mubarak, blessed saliva in my eye so it becomes well? Right? So he thought perhaps that, you know, if it doesn't work, I'll say that's because your soul is cursed or, you know, some way to get, escape from the situation. But when he took his saliva and put on his two eyes, the good eye became blind. <laughs> All right. So, uh, so this is called... I love the letter from Rasulullah Min Muhammad Abdullahi wa Rasuli ila Musaylama al Kadhab. Right? From Muhammad, the slave of Allah and his messenger. This is a letter to Musaylama, the false one, the liar. He called him out right in the beginning. So this is Ayhana. Uh, and then, subhanAllah, if there are miraculous things that happen to a Nabi before his prophethood, like uh, the clouds giving cover to Rasulullah right when he was traveling uh, as a child with Abu Talib that's Irhas and subhanAllah so there, there's in short there's so many different categories of things that happen that are not following the laws of nature so kullu amrin khariqin lil'ada every such matter which is not in accordance with the habitual way things happen that's ada yadharu ala yadi mudda'in nabuwa which becomes apparent on the hand of the one who is Claiming in uh, Nubuwa that he is a Nabi of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. عند تحدي المنكرين له When the people are rejecting him, they're attacking him saying, you are not a prophet. قُلْ هَاتُوا بُرْحَانَكُمْ إِن كُنْتُمْ صَادِقِينَ Bring your proof if you claim to be a prophet. عَلَى وَجْهٍ يُبَيُّنَ سِلْقُ دَعْوَةٍ It comes in such a manner that it proves that his da'wah is real. Right? So this is what the reality of a mu'ajaza is. And um, this is a shart, a condition that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put for all the Anbiya alayhi salam to prove their da'wah. It's a dalil of sidq nabuwa a proof of the truth of the prophethood. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he was the afdalul khalq, the best of the creation. He is the Sayyid al-Awwaleen, Sayyid al-Akhireen, the best of the Anbiya alayhi salam. Therefore, his nabuwat was the best, his mu'ajizat were the best and the most. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, risala is great. Allah ilaykum, jami'a. 
His prophethood is greater zamanan, makanan, rutbatan, maqam level-wise is highest in according to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So therefore, his miracles are also the most profound and the most powerful. And bottom line for us is that we should not have any doubt in believing them. We should realize, subhanAllah, and I conclude with this, Sometimes, you know, in like, I uh, see, uh, mashallah, a lot of da'wah brothers, so you can keep on referring back to the effort of da'wah. In the effort of da'wah, we talk about in the first point, about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala being the musabib al-asbab. That there are asbab dunyawiyah, there are material means, and then there is the hukum of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala behind the material means, the sabab, and the musabib al-asbab, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, every single thing that's happening, like this water is a sabab, a means of quenching thirst. And along with the water, there's the amr of Allah, the command of Allah that this water should quench my thirst. So what happens, according to the ada, the habitual way things happen is that the amr of Allah of quenching thirst and the sabab, they are coexisting, they're, they're at the same time, they're both present. So we see the sabab and we see the effect. But we do not realize that actually the causative factor, what's at play, which is quenching the thirst is not the water, it's the sabab. How do you test it to find out which is effective? So you have the control model, right? You have, and you have, you have the control and you have the variable. So the variable is you take the amar separately without the sabab and see what it does. Or you take the sabab separately without the amar and see what it does. Does it work or not? So these are how we can actually understand the stories we've been hearing all the time. Like for example, we say fire is a suburb to burn. So you have a big fire, like a gigantic fire that the, you know, the Israeli riots say that if the birds were going overhead, they would get roasted and fall down. And they couldn't throw Ibrahim al-Islam in the fire. They had to throw him with a catapult from afar to project him. And everyone gathered the wood together for that fire, big fire. So what happened, you have a fire, but the fire is a suburb of burning. But the amr of burning is not there. In fact, Allah Ta'ala said, قُلْ لَا يَنَارُكُونِي بَرْدًا O fire, be cool and salam and peaceful and nice for Ibrahim salam. So when the Amr is not there, what happens? The fire is not burning. The sabab by itself is not doing anything. Likewise, we have this water is necessary for hayat, for life. That's the ada. وَجَعَلْنَا مِنَ الْمَاءِ كُلَّ شَيْءٍ With water, we made everything living. In fact, the origin of life requires water. This uh, biological fact is also mentioned in the Quran. That's why when they go on different planets, they look for signs of Water, right? So in the gaseous form, in the frozen form, in the liquid form, any form, H2O, source of life. Right? So this is a beautiful creation of Allah. Two atoms of hydrogen and oxygen covenant bond together. And this H2O is a source of life. Every source of life. But so this water is needed for life. But you have, for example, a bunch of young people sleeping in a cave. How long? years. How long can you survive without water? So what happened? You have the Amr command that Hayat should continue, life should continue. You don't have the Sabab, the water. So is the Amr effective without the Sabab? Absolutely. The Amr is causing the life to continue. There is no water, there is no food, there is not a lot of things. In general, in fact, if you have water and food, you still can't survive for 309 years. So a lot of us Bob are missing, like tons and tons of us Bob for maintaining. This is the same story we've been hearing in the first point, but let's analyze what's going on. So this is the Amr of Allah, live, is present. 
without the asbab in life is continuing for a very long period of time, way beyond average lifespan. The average lifespan in that time was not 309 years. That's why many different nations came and passed. In Daqiyanus, the king came, right? So different generations. There was a uh, history of the past. Wow, there was those youth who came and they went into the cave and then they're lost. So, generally the sabab and the, and the sabab and Amar are together. So if they're together, then how, at the end of the day, is this all theoretical or is there a practical implication? Because if I'm thirsty, if I'm going to ask for the Amar of Allah, oh Allah, quench my thirst, or am I going to use the water? What am I going to do? I'm going to drink the water. So it's just exercising the brain? Is that what it's all about? I drink the water, the kafir drinks the water. I drink the water believing Allah quenches my thirst, the kafir drinks the water thinking the water quenches the thirst. So there's no difference practically, is there? Yeah, there is a litmus test. When does that litmus test occur? That's when it becomes clear. Who believes in the Amar, who believes in the Sabab? That's when they are in conflict. Like you have a line of customers wanting to buy, you need to make those sales in your shop because you need to provide risk for your children. And you, if the person who kafir believes the customers are going to provide the risk, when the adhan goes, it clearly says, It's not Isha adhan, it's not Fajr adhan, it's Jum'ah adhan. Hasten to the remembrance of Allah. Leave buying and selling. So the one who believes that Allah is a razib, he will give up those customers and go to the salah. The one who believes the customers are going to give the risk, he will sacrifice the amr of Allah and go with the sabab. So at the end of the day, in all these miracles, what's happening is, there is a musabibul asbab behind the scene, who here and there, he shows his signs. In fact, I've far exceeded my time, but like this ashabul kaf, what does Allah Ta'ala say? You know what he says? He asks a question. It's a very beautiful question, because if you translate it in our local, uh, how we speak, he said, أَمْ حَسِبْتَ you really think that the story of these youth of 309 years surviving, they're turning on the right and the left, you think that's ajeeb, you think that's strange? You think it was a really strange sign? It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal at all. Who says that? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So all of these deniers of miracles, we tell them it's not a big deal for Allah. Because we, are, we do not believe only in the asbab, al-zahira, the external means. We believe in the musabibul asbab behind the scenes. He works with the means, without the means, against the means. He doesn't need the means. He's the creator of the means. He's the musabibul asbab. We adopt the means. I'aqalha, tie the camel. Adopt the means. Believe in the creator of those means. Don't believe in, don't trust in. In the means. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the correct aqidah, correct iman on mu'ajizat. In fact, denying mu'ajizat altogether without a ta'wil and false interpretation is what? Kufr. Will expel a person from the fold of Islam. Mu'ajizat in general. Specific mu'ajizat which are proven through tawatur, in, also denying them is kufr. Some mu'ajizat which are proven through weaker narrations, denying them will not be kufr. And but believing them may be wajib, denying them may be sinful. But outright denying mu'ajizat is kufr. And believing in mu'ajizat is farad. And it is a part of our iman. May Allah Ta'ala allow us to live as mu'mins and die as mu'mins. Resurrect us with the mu'mineen. Wa akhud da'wan alhamdulillah. Jazakumullah khairan wa ahsan jazah. Mufti Saab for the 
extremely amazing lecture. We are so sorry that there isn't enough time to continue. Um, inshallah, starting with our uh, with the very next item of the program, inshallah, we will have a nasheed uh, 